Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. We always appreciate being included as a part of your day, and we're going to talk through some issues in agriculture. We've got the markets moving. Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing will join us in just a moment. Before we get to segment two, we're going to talk with Brian Riley, the director of the Free Trade Institute. He's been tracking the appearances of uh, USTR Catherine Tai on Capitol Hill. We're going to talk about the Biden administration approach to foreign trade. Before we get into segment three and water quality, comes into focus with Dr. Todd Peters, Sand County Foundation, looking at how communities and farmers have worked together to improve water quality. Before we talk with Steve Reinhardt in segment four, he's vice chair at the U.S. Soybean Board, was at the White House for the Easter egg roll. Soybeans certainly had a role in that. We'll get Steve's update at the end of the show. Before we get into all of that, however, we are going to talk markets with Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing. And Naomi, I, as you well know, love the cattle market, love to watch the cattle market. And right now, it is one exciting market to watch. That rally continues today, it appears. Yeah, it just that market is just on fire. The the cash market continues to rally. We're hearing record record prices um, throughout the country for what producers are are receiving, and and right now there seems to be no end in sight. And so the futures contracts, you know, just like a week and a half ago, had posted bearish key reversals, and I thought, all right, now we're going to have a little bit of a pullback. But then the cash market said no. And that market is what just pushed the futures prices higher and into all-time contract highs and, and just a friendly story yet. So you do wonder, you know, where is the top? How high can it go? I don't know is the answer. Naomi, but those are the things we're watching. Let's speculate a little bit. When, yeah. when we think about what's happening here in the cattle market, we do know the supply side is one thing. We've had that tight supply. I know we've talked about that in the past over the, over the past year. The demand side remains the question, but right now the consumers are willing to write the check, it appears. Well, that's the thing that's crazy. You know, I go to the grocery store and I'm like, well, what are people, you know, paying this for steak? Um, you know, for, at, from my perspective, we always buy a quarter of beef every summer. And so I never really have to buy it at the grocery store. And so I, when I go grocery shopping, I look at the meat counter and I'm like, holy crap, I don't know how people are doing this, but they are. And that's the good news. Um, and, and I think though, you're also seeing like hamburger demand stay strong from the standpoint of tacos and spaghetti and, and just hamburgers for grilling. Um, I know that in my neighborhood, the grills were fired up over the weekend with the nicer weather and, and the demand is there. And I think the demand stays there unless we start to see the middle class lose jobs. But, you know, that just doesn't seem to be the case in this economy for right now. Things do still seem to be resilient. So the demand story is there. I know that our exports have not been as strong as years past, but for the most part, domestic demand is kicking it and, and just being phenomenal. And that's keeping that market up for now. It is. It's keeping it up for now. Naomi, as you think about the cash and the futures interaction, you mentioned we were expecting that futures pullback. Now with cash and the cattle side at a record, how do futures look to perform compared to 2014, which I know is kind of the barometer that we're using in a, in a record area here for the cattle market. Yeah. So in 2014, you know, everything went went racing higher and, and then finally peaked um, and then just came crashing back down. And that's, that's the emphasis. So thinking, you know, maybe in the next one to three months is when we finally see the market find its peak, when we start to see the market um, show signs that they're going to try to rebuild the herd. I think that's that's the biggest clue that we're going to be watching for. Of course, part of that will depend on pasture conditions and feed prices. Um, but, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's a friendly story. And I, I, I sit here, you know, looking at you and I'm shaking my head because it's just, it, it's just defying logic, defying gravity. And, and then when you talk about feeders. There's, there's, I have a client that I just adore in Missouri and he's so straight up with me about what's going on and he'll go to auction and he'll say, you would not believe what they're bidding today. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know what, anyway, there's just none out there. There's none, there's nothing out there. Uh, so, so the availability is, is, is tight. 
And that's just, again, what's pushing prices. Man, and it is pushing prices indeed. We'll continue to watch that as we get deeper into summer. See that grilling season fire up. Naomi, while we've got you, let's turn our focus over to the grain markets. Because as we take a look today, we've got soybeans, a little bit of weakness, corn up, but wheat down big. What is happening in this wheat market? Naomi, where's the bear story in the yeah, wheat trade? So I think that, you know, the market is just assuming that the Ukraine-Russia news is is old news for now, and, and they'll still get wheat rolling and the exports are going to happen. So until it's not, they're ignoring that story. Uh, the other part of it is that the funds are just relentless in the Chicago market. They are staying short and they don't care. And until they actually have a legitimate reason otherwise, they're going to stay short wheat. But wheat does seem to be doing some range trading at these lower levels. And so I think the speculators are enjoying that and then taking part of that. We had the wheat markets uh, just about two weeks ago up near resistance levels, $7 in Chicago, $9 in Kansas and Minneapolis. Didn't have a reason to get through resistance, so just seeing that little bit of a pullback. But I feel like the wheat story is still something that could suddenly erupt. Um, you know, Thinking more specifically, the Kansas wheat is going to have a story to tell. The Kansas wheat crop is, is really suffering, as we all know. Um, the good to excellent category is the worst in history. The drought continues for yet another year. And one of my clients there um, was just telling me that central Kansas and north central Kansas, they're already talking about abandoning acres, taking the insurance claim. And that's a, even a few weeks earlier than normal for this um, time of year, because there's always that hope. Hey, it's going to rain, mm -hmm. you know, and always had a thought, oh, you can kill the wheat crop nine times and it'll come back to life. But this year they're they're saying, no, it's it's not good. It is really not good. Uh, so they're talking about the insurance claims, you know, two to three weeks earlier. And uh, that's a large portion of Kansas. And, and looking at the planted acres for Kansas, what they planted this last year is 20% of the U.S. wheat total production. So that's a significant number. So now you're talking abandoned acres. And then I asked my client, okay, well, you're going to abandon your wheat. You're going to plant anything behind it? And he said, no way, nothing's going to grow. And I'm like, well, how much rain would you have to get to even entice you to grow something? And he's like, two to three inches. We haven't had that in, in, in months, in months. So it's not like, you know, if these wheat acres are banded, we're not going to substitute it necessarily with a different crop because it's so dire out there. And the market, um, I think, is just needing to wake up to that fact. Because I don't think it's going to just be Kansas. I think it'll spread to Oklahoma and Texas. And that's the winter wheat side, Naomi. We've also got a story potentially coming on the spring wheat side, given the snows up in the northern plains. Oh, absolutely. With as much snow as they've had, uh, the, of course, it's starting to melt now, but it doesn't show any sign of an early spring. So you got to get all that snow to melt, and then you got to get everything to dry out. Um, and then they're facing the decision, you know, do I, you know, Try to get the spring wheat in the ground. Am I going to be past the optimal window? Um, is there uh, going to have to be a spring wheat rally to entice the farmers to plant those acres? Because all wheat acres continue to be historically small in this country. And, um, you know, the world still needs the United States to have perfect crops in everything this summer in order to fix the tight ending stock situation that we still are dealing with from a year ago. So a lot of moving parts, a lot of things to watch. Weather, of course, uh, but keeping an eye on the funds, too. And we'll be watching it. That's a lot going on in the markets, folks. We've been talking with Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, as always, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you. And folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we'll be talking with Brian Riley, the director of the Free Trade Institute of the National Taxpayers Union. So stay here. We'll get an update on that global trade. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. 
Biopath and Powercoat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powercoat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. On the first Wednesday of every month, we get together with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for the monthly grind to look at where that corn goes after it leaves our farm. This week, we're talking about corn's inclusion in the circular bioeconomy. We're talking with Sarah McKay and Denny Vinacotter. Sarah, what is the circular bioeconomy? Great question, Mike. So when we talk about, let's first start with bioeconomy. And essentially, that is substituting fossil carbon, so think petroleum, with bio-based carbon sources from um, agriculture and forestry. So that's what we mean when we say bioeconomy. Think biomass. Think corn. And so where does corn fit in the circular bioeconomy? Think corn for bio-based plastics, corn to replace petroleum chemicals. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about industrial biotechnology. And Denny, I understand the market development action team has a quarter of a million dollars in prize money for this next Consider Corn Challenge. We just need to keep finding new homes, new uses for the corn that we continue to improve and grow. Thank you, Denny and Sarah, for joining us this week for the monthly grind. And folks, stay plugged in to ncga.com for information on that Consider Corn Challenge. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us here today for AOA. We're going to get an update on the situation around trade here in just a moment. But before we do that, there's another story unveiling another chapter in a long-running saga in agriculture. And this saga is the right to repair. We've seen numerous bills floated across uh, different states and at the national level that would require manufacturers of equipment, of vehicles, of tools to put the diagnostic equipment and the tools required to repair that equipment out for the public domain, or at least out for some other folks to have an opportunity to get access to so third-party teams can repair that company's product. Now, this was a big piece of news. There was much push on this last year. And then earlier this year, during the Farm Bureau annual meeting in San Juan, Puerto Rico, an agreement was reached between a number of different stakeholders in the American Farm Bureau Federation that would encourage John Deere in particular to release a lot of their diagnostic tools. And in return, Farmers would quit pushing necessarily for right to repair legislation. Well, that right to repair legislation has continued to move forward, specifically in the state of Colorado. It was announced earlier this week that Colorado farmers beginning in 2024 will be able to legally fix their own equipment. John Deere has jumped in. Uh, they are going to be obligated to provide owners with manuals for diagnostic software and other aids. And this was passed by state legislators. Should be worth noting, this is the first state law to cover this to passage specifically as it relates to agriculture. We have seen a few right to repair bills floated and passed in the Northeast, but they tend to be more focused on consumer goods 
than on heavy-duty equipment. This particular piece of legislation called the Consumer Right to Repair Agricultural Equipment Act passed with bipartisan support had 46-14 in Colorado Senate earlier this week. It had already won approval from the House of Representatives just about a month and a half ago. And it's worth noting that this bill did have bipartisan support from farmers, and it comes back to those increasingly costly repairs and time-consuming repairs down on the farm. Now, I did say this bill is law. It is not law quite yet. It has passed the House and Senate in Colorado. It is now headed to the governor's desk. Jared Polis will have the uh, the opportunity to sign it. Colorado law says they've got 10 days to sign that bill, and it is said that he is expected to get that done. We'll continue to watch that story. We'll see if this Colorado measure is enough to push some other pieces of legislation in different states forward. Well, that remains to be seen. While we're looking at what's developing in the grain market, we do have some word from the EIA. The Energy Information Agency tracks the production of fuels, biofuels, crude oil, you name it. If it's energy, they're tracking it. And they released their ethanol production totals yesterday. Bad news for ethanol producers, though this is the time of year that production slows down. That was still the trend. Ethanol output plunged last month to the lowest level, excuse me, plunged last week to the lowest level in three months. Inventories were little changed across the country as ethanol stocks stayed relatively stable, but production did drop to an average of 959,000 barrels per day. That's under a million barrels a day for the first time since January, and it is the lowest since that same period, that first week in January. Now, it is worth noting that the Midwest is the place that did see the biggest slowdown. They were down about 40,000 barrels of production. That accounts for a lot of that drawdown, and Certainly, if you look across the trade area for a lot of those Midwest ethanol refiners over the past week, you'll note that some of those folks saw severe weather. Of course, that blizzard across Minnesota and the Dakotas shut down a number of ethanol plants. We saw grain movement suspended. All of those factors likely contributed to seeing that drop in ethanol production. Now, it is worth noting that uh, that's, that number is down from 250, uh, 25 million barrels a week earlier. It's also the lowest since February 24th. On the weather front, we are watching for an expected acceleration of severe weather. It has been a quiet week across much of the country with regard to severe weather after those blizzards and tornadoes and thunderstorms of the last week. Now things have cooled off. Well, it looks like that might be changing. There's some chances for severe weather here across the west and central parts of the U.S. here today. And we're seeing this active pattern start to accelerate. Our friend John Baranek over at DTN Weather lets us know that there is a strong storm system coming into the Midwest. And it's expected to accelerate Thursday on into Friday. So continue your eyes on the sky with regard to what we are seeing there. Price Watch, folks. Yesterday, we had an announcement from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, one of the more closely watched statistics, CPI, Consumer Price Inflation. Got the update yesterday from the BLS, and it was mixed data from the economic perspective. Inflation was up. That's no surprise at all. Compared to a year ago, prices are sticky at around 5% higher than they were back in March of 2022. However, the good news from the Federal Reserve's perspective is that the pace of increase is slowing. So that's, we got to say inflation is still rising. We are not in a declining inflation environment yet, or a deflationary environment. It's still inflationary, but the rate of that climb is starting to slow. And importantly, in March of 2023, that rate of inflation was just 0.1%. That is some of the slowest levels of growth that we have seen on the CPI data for a year going back to March of 2022. Now, if you exclude food and energy, here's where things get a little curious. With food and energy included, that monthly CPI data was 0.1%. When you exclude food and energy, core CPI data actually accelerated 
0.4%. So what this tells us is that one of the reasons inflation wasn't as apparent in the month of March 2022 was because the prices of food and the price of, of energy were both falling. And as those fell, even while other prices throughout the economy continued to accelerate, the weight of price dropping for commodities, remember, food and energy, was enough to reweight the whole system and pull it down. So that is what we saw happen there. We'll continue to watch as this goes forward, but it is going to be an interesting time period in the market. Quick note on fertilizer trends. Uh, we are continuing to see that downturn in prices. The average retail price of anhydrous was down 5% from last month. DTN has the average price right now at $1,002 per ton. It's worth noting that makes nitrogen, particularly anhydrous, 35% less expensive than it was at this time just one year ago. Well, we are seeing that one year ago we had that Russian invasion of Ukraine. Well, now we're getting a look at just how much that has impacted the Ukrainian economy. We're hearing concerns about those farmers in Ukraine getting their crops into the ground, getting that wheat crop in the Black Sea region grown. And one of their key concerns is they just don't have the supplies. They don't have the inputs. They don't have the cash to secure the inputs. And the overall economic downturn in that country is weighing on the agricultural sector. This is perhaps the first time we've gotten a look at the overall economic downturn in Ukraine since the war, and it's substantial. It was reported that since February 2022, when Russia launched their uh, their large invasion in the eastern part of that country, Ukraine GDP has dropped by 29.1%, a staggering amount of uh, economic activity lost in that country here over this past year. Now, as that Black Sea region gets those crops planted, the ability to export them will be crucial for bringing hard currency to those farmers. Uh, well, throughout the entire Black Sea region. Also exporting grains from Ukraine and the Black Sea regions of uh, ports of Russia will allow them to bypass Eastern Europe where farmers in those regions are frustrated and they have been protesting and closing their borders to grains coming from the Ukraine. We've got news coming out of France, and this is a crop protection decision, and it's going to be interesting to watch. France has announced that their uh, egg regulatory body for health and safety is going to ban the use of a pesticide, and that is in direct contact with grains. They want to make sure this isn't going to hamper their exports outside the European Union. So back in October, their health and safety agency cleared the use of phosphine tablets for killing pests through fumigation. But they said in their ruling that these tablets could not be used in direct contact with cereals, because if they were, that could threaten the export markets um, like Algeria, Egypt, and Morocco. So France says this is not going to impede their grain flow as they push this, uh, this program out for the remainder of the year. They say it's good food security for these importing countries. However, those countries are continuing to be concerned about the quality of the grains coming out of France under this program. Could that open up the opportunity for more U.S. grains farmers to grab some business? We'll see. We'll be talking next week with our friends at the National Association of Wheat Growers. Until then, stay with us, folks. Appreciate you. Uh, we'll have more coming up in just a second when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. What a great organization. Helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. 
You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, the soybean trade continues to be the leader here as we work through Thursday action. Moderate strength of beans and bean meal with bean oil just a little below unchanged. The corn market is relatively mixed. A little more intermarket spreading again there today between the old crop and the new crop. We're seeing some basis levels on the interior just screaming higher here in this corn market as we're looking at a a bit of a, a localized shortage of corn in some spots. As we've seen the May-July calendar spread reflecting a nearly 29-cent inverse. So we're watching that closely. Also watching another day of dry and warm weather to get some field work done across much of the country. However, the forecast does call for a system to move from the west through the plains and for some heavy snow in Montana moving east here as we head through today and towards the weekend. The rapid snow melt that has continued in the past several days across the northern plains is leading to a better chance for planting there, but also not without the expected flooding issues that will be thrown in as well. Very strong domestic basis for soybeans also being seen. The Rosario Exchange, their revised estimate for soy production and rising China soybean imports have combined to send beans higher here early today. Wheat markets moderately lower here, even though we have dwindling crop prospects for the KC wheat crop with drought across the region. We do have some better rain chances up here ahead for some of the driest areas of the hard winter belt, and that's giving us some reason to take a little bit of profit off the table here today, it appears. Feeder cattle and live cattle continue to scream higher, seeing some prices in feedlot country setting new record-weighted weekly average prices. Hogs continue to be under moderate pressure here today. Outside markets are quiet. Crude oil down 39 cents a barrel, 82.87. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. You know, there are a number of huge issues impacting agriculture and impacting agricultural production long term, and not least of which is water quality. We had an announcement out yesterday that the North Dakota District Court has issued an injunction on President Biden's new Waters of the U.S. rule that has now an injunction against it in 24 different states. The judge in that court said doesn't make sense to put a new rule into place while we wait for that Sackett decision from the EPA. Well, as we wait for that here from the Supreme Court of the U.S., across the country, folks are working on making improvements to water quality. And one of those groups doing that is the Sand County Foundation out of Wisconsin. I saw a recent headline, a partnership at the city of Burlington to improve water quality between farmers. And I thought we've got to figure out what's going on here. Joining me today to talk about this is Dr. Todd Peterson. He serves as the Water Quality Partnerships uh, Consultant here with the Sand County Foundation. Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here, Mike. Before we get into the water quality partnerships and what the Sand County Foundation is up to on that front, Todd, if you would take a step back and just tell us about the Sand County Foundation. Where were you guys founded? and What's the purpose of your organization? Yes, Mike, uh, the Sand County Foundation is really one of the legacy organizations stemming from Aldo Leopold's work uh, promoting conservation on private lands. Uh, we, we work at the intersection of agriculture and the environment. 
we both do research and demonstration projects on the ground, as well as we have a policy arm to work to promote conservation in, um, in agricultural systems. It is very cool to see and to see these private actors getting together to find ways to improve their local environments is always a fantastic thing. Todd, with that being the case, let's talk first about what happened here at the city of Burlington, down in the southeast corner of Iowa, nestled along the Mississippi River. There's a new partnership here between farmers and the cities. Fill us in. How does this partnership work? Okay, well, many cities in Iowa are struggling to meet the new nutrient uh, uh levels mandated by our nutrient reduction strategy in Iowa. Cities are required when they have a discharge permit from their wastewater treatment plant, the cities are being asked to reduce the amount of nutrients that they are discharging. And that's been a struggle for many Iowa cities. Um, their infrastructure is old and many times these wastewater plants were never designed to remove nutrients to start with. So they're either looking at major expensive upgrades to their treatment plant and we come in and say, no, there's another opportunity here. There's another option for a tool in the toolbox. Cities can actually, we work with them to negotiate an agreement with the Iowa DNR. And what that enables the cities to do or the municipalities to make investments in conservation in their watershed. So they can work with farmers and landowners and anything they do to reduce the amount of nutrients getting into the streams from farm fields and agricultural systems, the cities can actually get credit for that uh, against their discharge permit. So we allow and, and help them negotiate an agreement with the DNR that spells out how they would be getting credit for those reductions in nutrients in their streams and rivers. And Todd, before we get too much farther, when we're talking about the nutrients that these municipalities have to stop uh, depositing into the, the rivers and lakes, what type of nutrients are we talking about? It's primarily nitrogen and phosphorus. And again, uh, permit holders were instructed by part of our nutrient reduction strategy that they need to reduce the amount of nitrogen by 75% and the amount of phosphorus by two thirds uh, in their discharge. And as I said, many cities and their public works department are struggling to try to meet those numbers. Yes, those are some, some big cutbacks, and it sounds like those are going to continue to accelerate as this focus on water quality intensifies, Todd. So as you're putting together these partnerships between municipalities and growers, what all comes under consideration? Well, there's another number of practices, basically in-field practices such as cover crops and reduced tillage that can uh, reduce the amount of nitrogen leaving the farm, and also edge-of-field practices, so saturated buffers and bioreactors basically uh, buffers along the stream bank, anything that can remove or reduce the amount of nutrients leaving the farm field can qualify as credit against those discharge permits. So we help forge these partnerships between cities and, and their landowners and farmers in their watershed. And actually the cities can, get, can benefit from this uh, investment in conservation practices in several ways, but they can delay or defer really expensive upgrades to their wastewater treatment plant. Right, which is a huge thing when we're looking at the cost of construction in this current environment. You know, thinking about how that uh, the, these these cities are working out deals with the farmers, do they tend to be long-term purchase agreements with the landowners to deal with the nutrients? Not so much easements or purchase agreements. In some cases in the city, I'll just mention Burlington, the county and the city actually own some land that was formerly farm ground and they're going to be using it to enhance some recreational opportunities for the city. Um, but there's several situations where the cities are actually working with farmers directly, um, paying them to, uh, to adopt some of the conservation practices that we know work. All right, so it is already in place. Now, Todd, could you talk a little bit about just how many cities have worked on a program like this and uh, ge geographically? Are they all in Iowa? Or are we seeing this in other states as well? We're starting to see interest from other states. Uh, so far, we have eight Iowa cities that have, uh, we've ne helped negotiate these memoranda of understanding or these agreements with the DNR. And we have about another half dozen cities that are interested in various stages of this negotiation. But interest is building. And I think it's a way to connect city residents and cities with their watershed. Right. And we're grappling with these these the nutrients that are out there we have to deal with somehow. So now we're getting them measured. We're getting them into a system. And, and that can allow trading to happen. Todd, can we talk a little bit about nutrient credit trading and where the Sand County Foundation fits with that? 
Yes, we have a number of examples in Wisconsin uh, where farmer-led groups are working with their uh, lakes association and cities and, and connecting the dots, helping uh, farmers and urban residents understand where the nutrients are coming from and what can be done to reduce the amount of nutrients moving into waterways. Um, in Iowa, we have cities like Dubuque, Burlington, and Muscatine that are essentially, they're on the Mississippi River. So in order for them to do watershed work, they have to work upstream. And that primarily means working with farmers and landowners in agricultural systems to figure out how can we reduce the amount of nutrients that are flowing downstream. And, you know, and that question is so huge, Todd, and we get questions when we're grappling with water quality, dealing with these nutrient loads moving downstream, there's a cost. There's there's a cost to put these plans in place to implement these strategies. When we think about funding from the Sand County Foundation's perspective, how much of the cost of these programs are, are federal or state funds? There are a lot of federal funds uh, becoming available on part of the Inflation Reduction Act and, and the USDA's investment in climate smart agriculture. There's a large uh, amount of federal funds that's gonna be available to expand these conservation programs. So this is a perfect opportunity for cities to uh, look upstream in their watershed and figure out how can we reduce not only the nutrients, I didn't mention flood damage mitigation is another alternative for cities that are very interested in, as our precipitation patterns change, uh, some of the cities are very concerned about flood damage if they were to have a large uh, rainfall event in their watershed. And this is another place that farmers and landowners in, in rural systems can help mitigate this uh, chance for flood damage by keeping the rain where it falls. Absolutely. And I think that's certainly going to be on our minds here as we get deeper into spring this season. Todd, this is a fantastic, uh, fantastically interesting way of, of getting cities and farmers to work together. And as you mentioned, it's Iowa, Wisconsin. It's the hotspot for it now due to some of the policy reasons. But as you think bigger term at the Sand County Foundation, how big is the market for these type of programs? Could this exist with every municipality nationwide, theoretically? It can, and actually we're having interest from uh, municipalities in Kansas, uh, some in Illinois and some in Indiana, and we uh, look to expand some of the nutrient credit trading programs in Minnesota as well. So there's there's interest any, everywhere on, on uh, forging these partnerships between cities and their watershed and helping accelerate the adoption of conservation practices across the landscape. In order to keep these partnerships moving and growing, Todd, do, do we need more policy shifts or do we just need more exposure to these ideas around nutrient management? Well, I think uh, the answer is probably both. Uh, policy, we're, we do have a policy wing. Our Sand County Foundation is, also sponsors a group called EPIC, Environmental Policy Innovation Center. And EPIC is working on, on what kinds of uh, pay for performance, what can we do to help uh, compensate farmers for ecosystem services like nutrient reduction and carbon sequestration. So there's a policy arm to this as well as just introducing that this is a possibility. Cities may think that their only alternative is to build a new uh, treatment plant and many Iowa cities are spending tens of millions of dollars to do that. Uh, and we can forge these partnerships and work on reducing the total nutrients in the water and this benefits everyone with better water quality while saving ratepayers uh, expensive investment. And improving water quality. It's a win, win, win. Dr. Peterson, if we've got listeners who are thinking maybe this would work for my community, my municipality, where can they go for more information? How can we get that, that story told? I'd suggest going to the sandcountyfoundation.org. And there are several videos from uh, projects around the state of Iowa, cities that we've worked with in the past, and some real success stories on accelerating conservation practices adoption. Fantastic, folks. Check that out, sandcountyfoundation.org. We have been talking this morning with Dr. Todd Peterson. He works as the Water Quality Partnerships Consultant. He'd be the one. I'm guessing, Todd, if we call in and want to get one of these started, we'd be talking with you? Exactly. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, folks, check that out, sandcountyfoundation.org. Todd, appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stay with us. We'll hear from Steve Reinhardt, Vice Chair of the United Soybean Board, when AOA returns.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Mosaic Company has introduced two new biological products, Biopath and PowerCoat. I caught up with Dion Pierce, product manager at Mosaic at Commodity Classic, to ask him why Mosaic was in the biologicals business. Well, uh, you know, as everybody knows, uh, Mosaic has been a leader in the phosphorus and potash industry for quite some time. Uh, but as we learn more about the soil microbiome, right, and how fertility and microbiology react in the soil, we're kind of taking our focus from a balanced crop nutrition to an advanced crop nutrition understanding. And, and that's our focus moving forward and the reason that we're pulling in and, and moving into the biological market as well. Balanced versus advanced. Dion, could you explain a little bit, what are the distinctions between the two? So a good way to think about it is the relationship between fertility and, and biologicals. Okay, so just as important as uh, you know, fertility is to the plant, it's also to understand that some of those nutrients that are applied are going to become locked up. And you know, when we do mining, right, we're going to take a phosphorus or a potash, we're going to turn that into a prill that a, a grower can use and, and apply to their field. Well, these biologicals kind of work the same way. Uh, they're going to mine the soil and they're going to make those nutrients more available for the plant to utilize when it needs them most. Dion, for farmers who are hearing a lot about biologicals this year, but have never experimented with them on their operation, what's your advice for folks approaching this for the first time? So first, I would look for companies that are very science-based, they're well-respected. When you look at a product and the data behind it, make sure they have more than one or two years and make sure it's not just one or two uh, areas in, in, a, in a certain state. Ask them the question, where does it not work? Nothing works 100% of the time. Give us a hit rate, give us a, you know, what's the positive response rate, where does it work, where it doesn't work, and again, go to a trusted company. Dion, where can our audience go to learn more about these products from Mosaic? Uh, the best place to go would be cropnutrition.com. You can learn about the biologicals and uh, the other performance products from Mosaic. That's Dion Pierce, product manager at the Mosaic Company. On the first Wednesday of every month, we get together with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association for the monthly grind to look at where that corn goes after it leaves our farm. This week, we're talking about corn's inclusion in the circular bioeconomy. We're talking with Sarah McKay and Denny Vinacotter. Sarah, what is the circular bioeconomy? Great question, Mike. So when we talk about, let's first start with bioeconomy. And essentially, that is substituting fossil carbon, so think petroleum, with bio-based carbon sources from um, agriculture and forestry. So that's 
what we mean when we say bioeconomy. Think biomass, think corn. And so where does corn fit in the circular bioeconomy? Think corn for bio-based plastics, corn to replace petroleum chemicals. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about industrial biotechnology. And Denny, I understand the Market Development Action Team has a quarter of a million dollars in prize money for this next Consider Corn Challenge. We just need to keep finding new homes, new uses for the corn that we continue to improve and grow. Thank you, Denny and Sarah, for joining us this week for the Monthly Grind. And folks, stay plugged in to ncga.com for information on that Consider Corn Challenge. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. We appreciate you joining us today. We are going to talk about outreach. A lot of times when we think we need to go to Washington, D.C. to communicate with legislators and regulators, we're going to be cornering them in a crowded hallway in a federal building to tell them our piece. But sometimes we can approach outreach with a little bit more of a soft power approach and communicate in a different way. Recently, United Soybean Board and American Ag Producers got together to tell the story of agriculture at the White House Egg Roll. Joining us now for an update is Steve Reinhardt. He serves as the vice chair of the United Soybean Board, grows corn and soybeans in Ohio. And Steve, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Mike. Uh, good to be here to be able to tell our story. Well, let's talk about that story. What was uh, the American soybean industry doing? What was United Soybean Board doing at an Easter egg roll? Steve, why were you there? Sure. So this is uh, one of those ideas. It just happened to be that two people uh, were in the same room together one time, and they came up with the idea that, hey, the uh, American Egg Board uh, sponsors the Easter egg roll, and uh, uh Poultry is the largest uh, consumer of soybean meal, so why don't we help to uh, uh, go to that event as well and uh, help to explain, uh, tell our story a little bit about what we do as soybean farmers and how we support the poultry industry. And it's uh, it was just a great opportunity for us to get uh, out there and uh, help uh, the uh, kids when they came through the displays uh, to talk a little bit about what we do. And, and of course, then as the kids are listening, the parents are listening, and it's just a great opportunity uh, for us as soybean farmers to be able to reach out and uh, talk with uh, those uh, uh, families when they came through and how better to do that than with a, uh, a one-day event where we can touch over 30,000 uh, people that come through that, uh, that Easter egg roll. Well, it is a huge event. And Steve, I've never had the chance to go to the White House for this event. You were there. Can you tell us what happened? 145-year-old event. What's it like to be there? Sure. So it's, uh, I mean, it's just really a great opportunity. Uh, you know, we, we were on the lawn there at uh, about 6.30 in the morning uh, when everything was quiet. And it was actually still dark. And, uh, and then the activity just kind of grows and grows goes on and the kids can go to the the front lawn of the white house where they actually uh, uh would actually roll the easter egg which you said goes back 145 uh, years and uh, they get a wooden stick and they can roll the easter egg through a path and they have an easter egg hunt and then one of the first uh, uh times that this has ever happened uh dr jill biden wanted to open it up so it was more of an educational experience so they called it egg Egg, edu educational, and uh, that's where we kind of came in that uh, we could team up with the egg board and provide that educational experience as long, uh, along with other uh, STEM activities. So it was more than just the, the traditional Easter egg roll. It was an educational event and a lot of STEM activities, which we think uh, if we decide to do this again in another year, we can do with uh, agriculture because we have so many STEM-related uh, activities that we can do uh, through agriculture as well. Now, Steve, the folks who came out for the egg roll, uh, tell us a little bit about who made up the crowd. Were these just folks from around Washington, D.C., just urban consumers by and large? Uh, by and large, it was uh, urban consumers. Uh, we had uh, people there from uh, various states surrounding Washington, D.C., a lot from Maryland, Virginia, uh, but virtually uh, no one uh, from a uh, farm background, uh, but it was interesting that uh, a lot of people who did come through 
said, hey, you know, we used to uh, raise chickens at my grandfather's farm or, uh, you know, we, we raised soybeans at uh, uh, my uncle's farm. So we did have some people come through that did have some uh, related, uh, uh, you know, knowledge of agriculture, but the vast majority were people who didn't know agriculture, which really gave us that opportunity to help uh, tell our story. Steve, when you're talking to folks who are pretty unfamiliar with the industry of agriculture, sometimes their their preconceived notions can uh, can be different than what we see on the ground. Were there any wacky questions you got from folks at the event? Uh, there were no wacky questions. There were some questions that, uh, you know, people just uh, didn't know that, you know, how we did things. And uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, people who were really surprised uh, that, you know, we can uh, get so many versatile products out of a soybean. And that was part of the educational experience of, hey, the, the poultry or the chickens eat the, the meal, which it comes as one byproduct uh, or one product out of soybeans. And then we have a protein or a oil being the other product. And uh, so many different things that we can put oil into today that replace uh, petroleum. And uh, some of us even had our Skecher tennis shoes on and we I could show that they were made with soybean oil in the, in the soles of the shoes. And um, we talked about the, some of the emergency vehicles using um, uh, biodiesel, which was interesting because a couple of uh, the utility trucks from Washington, D.C. were kind of blocking the roads and they had big signs on the side of them that they were running on 100% biodiesel. And uh, so, you know, it's something else that we could tell people to look for when they, you know, walked out and, uh, went uh, you know, on about their daily lives and what uh, you know they might be using it has soybean uh, meal or oil in it uh, every day. Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those things that is is there when you don't even realize it. Of course, Steve, we've got a lot of demand for that renewable biodiesel here in the year ahead, but we've got to have the crop available to grow it. Planting time is coming. How do things look in Ohio? Are you going to be in the field in uh, regular time, do you think? Yeah, we'll be in uh, regular time. In fact, there's some uh, corn and uh, beans going in this week. Uh, we ourselves are going to wait till uh, we have a, a fairly sizable rain event supposed to happen on Sunday. So we're going to wait until after that because we cool down quite a bit after that goes through and then warm back up again. So but we're actually uh, very dry for this time of year. And uh, uh, so I think we're going to have a pretty good start into the planting season. All right. It will All be right. here before we know it. We'll be getting those crops in the ground, folks. We've been talking with Steve Reinert here from the United Soybean Board. Steve, we wish you the best as you get that planting season started there in Ohio. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk with Donna Hughes about the trouble of the wheat crop down in the south. We'll also get an update from Emily Score on some proposed changes from the EPA. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, 
Maintained your health? 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.